Well, it is not often, as we mentioned earlier, that we have the opportunity to see uh, double baptisms on weeks back to back. And so um, in in light of the reality of that, we're going to once again be out of Amos this morning. I want to return to where we were at last week with disciple, the verb. This is part two. Go do disciple things. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it said that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. An authority over the creation that is the nature of the creator. For all was created by him and for him and in him holds together. Literally in the Greek, in him has its being, has its existence. For in Christ was the fullness of God pleased to dwell. In Christ Jesus, the eternal and unapproachable God is manifesting himself into the world so that the Apostle John could write in chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ is eternally authoritative. He is all eternal. He is eternally previous. He is eternally present. He is eternally future. And he is eternally with his people. It says in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Therefore, now I just Hold it up here for just a moment. He is eternally with you. Even to the end of the age. And folks, when this age ends, the age that comes next is nothing like anything that the sons and daughters of Adam have ever seen. Therefore, because all authority is given unto him and he is with you even until the end of the age, therefore go and do what is simultaneously the most natural thing that a newborn Christian can do And that which is the most impossible for anyone to do. Go and disciple. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 into 20. Go therefore not and make disciples. We looked at this last week. Go therefore and disciple all nations. Don't go make a product but instead go forth and participate in an activity. Go therefore and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we can say confidently out of where we were at last week, hey, disciples, disciples of Christ, 
go do disciple things. For the good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. The reality is, is that Scripture ta- teaches that doing is the result of being and not the other way around. You can go out and try to do all you want and change what you be. But the reality is, is at the end of the day, what you be is always going to win. And it's going to result in consistent. Well, you may pull it off for a little while. But it's going to result in consistent doing. When we look at what Christ is saying about the nature of disciples going forth and doing disciply things and discipling all nations, this particularly includes both baptism and teaching and instruction. Baptism, as we've seen last week and again today, the testimony of the confession of sin, the repentance from that sin, and faith in Jesus Christ. Man, baptism is not about getting wet. It's about a statement. It tells something about the people that are participating therein. That they have been given the gift of repentance. That they've been given the gift of faith. And that in doing so, they have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God unto their salvation. But that's not enough to go about doing disciply things. We have to see people come to faith and we have to see people being led in teaching and instruction. Instruction, He says, all that I commanded. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament. Why? In order that we may be equipped and ready for every good work. Because what's going on with this whole kingdom of heaven, kingdom of this world business is not a game. It is as deadly serious as serious can be. It makes life and death in this world look paltry by comparison. What you saw here today saw last week it is the testimony of birth inheritance and therefore allegiance to a kingdom that is at open war with forces that the natural man cannot even begin to fathom you have to be to be ready we have to be equipped for every good work that the Lord has laid before us and it is not small things so what does doing disciple things look like we got a room full of disciples it's our It's our nature, it's our character it's the baseline of our being because we've been made anew, born again after the spirit of Jesus Christ, given the mind of Jesus Christ, and now having become disciples, we go about discipling. 
and doing the things that disciples do. And here is the commandment, the commission, the great commission, if you will, out of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus didn't call it that, but that's what Christians have been calling it for nigh on 2,000 years. So we'll go with the great commission. Fair enough. Here is, here is the thing that we are to be about the business of doing. What does it look like? Doing discipley things requires change. Man, one of the things that Angela said this morning that I love so much, man, doing, doing discipley things requires change. It requires the, the $5 word, sanctification. Literally in the Greek, holification. To, meet, to be made holy and to be set apart. We're going to do... I'm not going to preach a long time this morning, I promise. It's even going to be shorter than last week if the Lord will allow. But we are going to read a lot because it's the nature of narrative. Nature of narrative is it takes up space and you don't get little soundbite sections like you do in didactic text. So this morning in, in Acts chapter 10, we see the disciples of Christ going about doing disciply things. And here we see it in Peter. And if there was ever a guy that needed changing. Peter is an example of that guy. Peter probably fit in well here. Just a good old redneck, man. Fish scales under his nails, the whole bit. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 48, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. These are boys that you really don't want to mess with. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God. And in the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror. And said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one, he is lodging with one Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made the inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, 
for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What reason is there for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. Man, when it comes to doing disciplely things, even though they may be the people that's the most difficult to deal with, the place to start is with relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. We think that there is a legacy of racism in this country. We don't have a drop in the bucket of understanding what racism was the way these people did. It had been going on not for a century and a half. It had been going on for millennia. And friends, they didn't simply enslave the people that they were turned against. They annihilated them. Peter said, I've never, ever even been across the threshold of a Gentile's house. A couple of days ago, God showed me something. And when he did, when Jesus Christ, who gives me his mind, who gives me his heart, when he shows me that I was wrong, then the time for debate is over. And it is time to align myself in sanctification and holiness to Christ. So here I am, the redneck Galilean fisherman that has never even crossed the threshold of a Gentile home. He sent the right guy. one who knew exactly what it was like to hear the cock crow and know he was guilty. What Peter's about to do is do disciply things. Cornelius said four days ago, a 
about this hour. I mean, look at these two guys. You talk about destiny meeting. The sovereignty of God on open display. The Italian cohort. And the Galilean fishermen. Doing something that neither one of them would ever even have dreamed that they would do. Four days ago about this hour. I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter opened his mouth. And said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee and after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anoints Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear not to all the people but to us who had been chosen by God as witness who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Do you understand that as a non-Roman citizen to speak to a centurion in such a manner was to forfeit your life if he didn't agree with what you were saying. And there wouldn't be a trial and there wouldn't be a counsel. You would get it right there on the spot. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, you know, we moved away from Amos because of the time circumstance. We're really not that far away from Amos, man. This is the point where in chapter 7, the Lord's bringing Amos to the place. Like, do you trust I'm good or not? Because what I'm going to do is send you to go talk to a king that holds your life in his hand. Here's Peter talking to a centurion that undoubtedly holds his life in his hand. Peter does not have the privilege of Paul. He cannot claim Roman citizenship. He cannot appeal to Caesar. If Cornelius doesn't like what he hears from him, it's over. And he's sitting there looking at the leader of the Italian cohort. 
and saying, this one who I proclaim judges the living and the dead. You will answer. Faith is not believing that Christ is simply who he says he is. The faith that accompanies salvation is believing that Christ is who he says he is and is faithful to do that which he said he would do. So Peter's got it all on the all on the line, man. And Christ is faithful. While Peter was still saying these things, he hadn't even he hadn't even got to the to the, the finale of the sermon yet. While he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water baptism from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Well, of course you can't. Of course you can't. The proof is right before you. If If water baptism is the testimony of baptism of the Spirit and you have seen the Spirit fall on these people, how in the world could you deny them even if it is the first time you've ever been across a Gentile's threshold? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Doing disciplinary things requires change means you have to forego things that you once held as absolute. means you have to step away from tradition, the fact that we've always done it this way, and my dad and my granddad and blah, 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 blah. Instead, Embrace the things of Christ that are set before us in such a way that we not only believe him to be who he says he is, but that we believe him to be faithful to come through in the difficult things and do the things that he says he will do. It requires you to be what would otherwise be considered crazy. Let's look at another example. Just a couple of pages back in Acts chapter 8. Verses 26 through 40, the record of Philip, a disciple of Christ, going out doing disciple things. But before we get to Acts chapter 8, verse 26, let's look at what Philip was already doing because there's a background for the record that we see about Philip in chapter 8. And the background is early in the chapter in verses 4 through 8. So we're going to look at Philip and the centurion, and he's doing some crazy stuff, trying not to get himself run over. But before that, Philip was already doing stuff that made chasing down a chariot look relatively sane. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, 
it says that now those who were scattered, and if you want to know why they were scattered, the answer is in verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Kind of a no-knock warrant kind of a situation here. And those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And if you know anything about Samaria, if you remember from where we've been at in the book of Amos, that is northern Israel, and uh, they don't have a real solid legacy for righteousness. There's some dark stuff going on up there. He went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Guys, I can tell you today, that the experiences that I've had with manifest demonic activity can be counted on one hand, and I can remember every single one of them. And apparently this was common, everyday stuff for Philip. So if you've been preaching in the 10%, the... the the, the, the literal descendants of the 10% that didn't make the 90% mortality rate in northern Israel, if you've been preaching among those people and seeing all the stuff that comes with it and all of these evil spirits screaming as they're being cast out, as the word is being spoken, if this is the daily grind for you, then all of a sudden chasing a chariot doesn't quite seem so, doesn't quite seem so out of the box. Verse 26, the guy that had been doing this on a regular basis, it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. So this is not, you know, recommended, probably. You shouldn't be driving down the road with the scroll open reading Isaiah, but that's, that's what, in, in all fairness, he was almost certainly not driving his own chariot. So there you go. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. You want to do disciply things, you're going to have to change. You want to do disciply things, you're going to have to do some stuff that's pretty, pretty crazy. So, you know, after a couple of weeks, a couple of months of casting out demons, now it's time to go jog beside a chariot. It's never boring. Man, write a job description for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't know what you're going to find yourself doing. 
Listen, on Tuesday, we're casting out demons. On Wednesday, we're jogging beside chariots. And so here he is running beside the chariot. And this is something that the Spirit of God himself told him to do. I mean, can you imagine the conversation that must be happening inside your own head when this is going down? Run to the chariot. Do what? Yeah, do it. You know, it, it's, it, it's probably the closest equivalent if there was a guy don't, going down the street on like a Harley Davidson trike, <laughs> you know, and you're jogging along beside him, trying to keep up, listening to him preach, reading out of Isaiah. I don't know what that looks like. Philip was probably in better shape than me, right? But I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> going on because, I mean, after all, it's being pulled by a horse. Do you understand what you're reading now? concept of that you've got a guy that is over the treasury of Ethiopia which historically was in financially a lot better shape than it is right now this is a big dog and you got (laughs) you got some Judean running beside your chariot. He ain't in a chariot of his own. He didn't pull up next to you and roll down the window. He's running beside your chariot and he wants to ask you if you understand the very thing that you're reading. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Once again, the sovereignty of God on display. This is not the response that a man of such stature should have to a sweaty, dusty Judean trying to jog beside his automobile. And yet, much like Cornelius, he responds in a very positive manner. So Philip ran to him. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, asked, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him and Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Friends, if I was going to pick a Scripture to try to impress a foreign dignitary about the deity of Christ, that's the last one I would pick. That's not the one you go with, man. Go with with Daniel chapter 9 and 10. (laughs) Go with he was presented before the Ancient of Days and, and the key to the kingdom was given to him and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and his dominion will be one that is never undone. Go with that one. You want to impress the Nubian? You want to make an imprint on the government of Candace? Go with something else other than like a sheep he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, but that's exactly where the Lord has him. It's crazy. Ill-equipped. Doesn't have Nikes. Running behind a horse-drawn chariot and sandals. He's in the wrong book, the wrong spot. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, beginning with this scripture, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so Philip doesn't go, well, hey, listen, this is a difficult spot or this is a tough text or let me try to get God off the hook because this makes you feel awkward about who the Messiah is actually going to be. Let's go to something that's a little bit more palatable. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He starts right there in the ditch. Right at the foot of the cross. And starting, starting there, told him the good news about Jesus and as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water Philip and the eunuch and they baptized him and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing because you know if you're casting out demons and chasing chariots getting translated away is just another day. Philip found himself in Azotus. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be enough at that point to kind of hold me up. Man, if, we've, if, it's, been, if, it's, been, if it's been casting out demons and chasing down world-renowned officials in chariots, and then the next thing I know, the Spirit of the Lord picks me up, carries away, and plants me somewhere else. I'm probably going to kind of want to regroup for a minute. That's, forgive me, that's the smoke them if you got a moment. Cup of coffee. Like, can we kind of regroup here for a moment? Get some guys together. Can you believe what just happened? What does he do? Found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Disciples do disciple things. You have to change. You got to be, not technically, but from the perspective of the world, about halfway unhinged. He opens his mouth and he begins with the very thing that actually has the power because Philip doesn't. Remember last week from 2 Timothy? Why is it so critical that we not only proclaim the faith that is testified to in baptism, but also teach all that he has commanded? It is because in the teaching we are equipped for every good work that the Lord would send before us. Philip does not have the power to produce faith in this man, but the word of God is powerful in its effect. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it always returns that for which the Lord sent it. And so Philip goes, well, why not? Here we are. Why not? Let's just start here. 
and proclaiming the word of the Lord to him, we see the miracle of faith produced in this man. More than believe. Uh, the half-brother of Christ says in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. We're talking about more than that. We're talking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 kind of faith. That without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. The Ethiopian says, here's water. What hinders for me from being baptized? And the answer, obviously, by the activity of Philip that nothing hinders him. I would tell you today that nothing hinders you if you possess the gift of faith that desires it. You say, well, if baptism is the testimony of baptism in the Spirit, what do I need to do to to be able to be baptized, what would hinder me from that? And friends, the answer according to Scripture is nothing as long as you possess the gift of faith that would desire it. And at that point in time, you may look at me and say, well, what about miracle? Yeah, what about it? Faith is the evidence that the miracle of new creation is at work in you. It is the evidence. You say, man, I, I want to believe. Friends, Scripture says that no one does good, no, not even one. Not even one. And I would ask you today, is the desire for faith in Jesus Christ a good thing? I would submit to you that it is the best of things. And if it is, and no one does good, not one, then friends, if you didn't desire it, the miracle is already, if you desire it, the miracle is already afoot. It's already afoot. If none does good, no, not one, and desiring faith and salvation in Jesus Christ, not for the stuff you can get out of it, but for him as presented in the fullness of the word that he has commanded. If that's the case and you want that, friends, I would tell you that's good. And if no man does what is good and you want that, then it's not your doing. He's already working no one will ever be able to say, I wanted Christ and he wouldn't take me. They'll never be able to say it. Oh, they may want the stuff that Christ has, but they will never be able to say, I really wanted Christ and he wouldn't have me because if they want him, he already has them. It says, what hinders me? Friend, if you've got the desire for Christ Jesus himself, then you are unhindered. This is the gift of God. For by grace, grace, you wretches. You'll say, oh, I'm offended. I'm not. I'm not offended. 
I know what it is to look in the mirror. Doesn't offend me. Makes me joyful. Because the thing is, is the accusation is right. By grace, you wretch. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Golly, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Me and Mark were talking about it this morning. Friends, the miracle that Christ Jesus is doing is not to move your name from one list onto the other. That is such a paltry thing for such a holy creator. This God creates intelligent, sentient, thinking, feeling creatures. That's what he creates. He creates creatures that want and desire and long and hunger. They were all wanting and desiring and longing and hungering after the wrong things. And he looked down and he said, I'm not satisfied with that. Not satisfied with that. You're going to long for what you ought to long for. You're going to desire what you ought to desire. You're going to thirst for that which you should thirst. For we are his workmanship. Not the lists. Oh, he's got a list. Scripture talks about it. We can flip back here to Revelation and look at the list. The list is there. The list is there in order to record and delineate the creatures that are his. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What hinders me? Here's water. What hinders me? Friend, if you desire it, there is nothing that hinders you. If you desire it, you are unhindered. Now look, you may have some false desire. No doubt about it. There was all sorts of people that came to Jesus and all four of the Gospels that were looking for all sorts of stuff that they thought they could leverage him for and they could get out of him. And what he said was, bye. But if you're really looking for him, if you want him, you are unhindered. It's not that you can be unhindered. You are unhindered. Grace has already found its effectiveness in you. Faith is the evidence that the miracles at work in you. For Paul would write to the Philippians and say, It is God who works in you both to will and to work. Man, doing discipling things requires change. You're not who you used to be. Not who you used to be. You're a new creation. It is. It, it requires doing things that, apart from the faithfulness of God, would be absolute lunacy. 
and quite frankly, running along the side of a chariot doesn't even come close to the lunacy of speaking directly to a demon, which was what Philip was already doing up to this point. It requires boldness. It requires boldness. The acceptance of the consequences of following Christ. Friends, there are consequences. In truth, in the last handful of generations since the Great Awakening in this country, there hasn't been a lot of consequence for most people for following Christ. But there used to be. And if I can be pastoral this morning, I would tell you it is returning. It requires a boldness that brings us to a place where where we say, I care so much about what Christ would desire in me that I no longer care about the consequences that are brought on me apart from him. That's not to say that those consequences aren't real and they aren't very difficult and that they have a very high price. That's why they call them consequence. But it is a relational understanding that says because I care so much about what Christ desires from me, Relatively speaking, I don't care about the consequence that comes from the world. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. And this is, you know, we're going to rewind for just a moment. This is what I'm talking about. And if you have legitimate desire to know him, you are unhindered. Grace is already at work within you. Paul says, man, I can't, all this stuff is lost. And look, if you look, if you do the background on Philippians and know what he's talking about, like he's talking about some stuff. They're going to chunk this guy in a hole that, and he's going to stay there for years that you can never stand up straight in. Count it all loss that I may know him. The power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What an incredible statement. Man, it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what it takes. If I can just know him, 
that in itself will be sufficient. That knowing him who in him is life and the life was the light of man is sufficient to bring about the end for which he was manifest in the world that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, that I may have the life that he has, that I may join with him in what it means to actually be alive. Disciples do disciply things. They do it because all authority has been given to him. And that he is with us even to the end of the age and Man, it requires some crazy stuff. It requires that you change. Oh, man, we live in a society where self-worth seems to be everything. Man, let me tell you, Scripture holds no value in self-worth apart from self-worth in Christ, like zero, literally zero. As a matter of fact, it says that not only is there not value in it, there is negative value in it, that self-worth, according to the image of Adam, is damnation. But in Christ, there's something different. You're going to have to be different. It requires you to do stuff that just seems nuts. Praise the Lord for sanctified crazy. Now, I'm not talking about fleshly crazy. Praise the Lord for sanctified crazy. The kind of crazy that makes no sense to the world, but makes absolute sense if God is faithful. Praise the Lord that you can go to Scripture that would seem to say the opposite of what would comfort people or bring them to belief, and yet Isaiah and the sheep that was led to slaughter would drag an Ethiopian to faith. Praise the Lord for the kind of boldness. It says, I count it all loss. It's what disciples look like when they're doing discipling things. We've seen it testified to, specifically here in the last couple of weeks. I pray that the Lord continues, continues to glorify himself in that manner. It's a weird day, friends. It's a, it's, a, it's a different day. It's a different day in America. It's a different day in the SBC. It's a different day. Pray the Lord make much of himself. And then if you, and if you find yourself desiring him, that you would realize that you are already unhindered. And we come proclaiming the glory of Christ in your salvation, that if you, having done that, would look around at the things around us, being his disciple, go do disciple things.